you know, I was very tied to the idea of a physical magazine being crucial part of our methodology. But it turned out that the print was not at all a critical part of the success. I often think about and talk about how I think social media has been as big a deal to the world around us today as the printing press was to the Middle Ages uh, 400 years ago. The printing press made the illiterate literate and you know, democratized access to knowledge, then social media has made the unpublished published. And I don't think we fully realize today how big a deal that is. I think 50 years from now, we'll look back and go, wow, we didn't quite realize what we were creating <laughs> quite willingly. Uh, but I think we'll fully appreciate the impact when we have the luxury of hindsight. My guest on the show today, Gavin Wheel, uh, has always appreciated and understood the power of publishing. He started his journey as a journalist and very quickly got into the space of producing print publications that gave a voice to the voiceless. Um, brought that idea here uh, to South Africa. He's originally from the UK. And that evolved into a project called Liberty Africa, which now is Digify Africa. Uh, similarly to his original vision, which has never really changed, uh, Gavin wants to use digital skills, the power of the digital world, to give a voice to the youth of today, a voice to the voiceless, and, and allow them the opportunity to use digital skills that they acquire through the Digify Africa program and his partnerships with some incredibly powerful, incredibly intentional brands and to allow them the opportunity to use those skills, the digital skills they acquire through the Digify Africa program to improve their own lives, to create job opportunities, to build businesses, and hopefully to move up the social mobility ladder. I hope you enjoy the show. As always, your comments are welcome. And if you'd like to recommend anybody else for episodes in the future, please feel free to do so. Now, enjoy Gavin Wheel. Gavin, thanks so much for taking time to chat to me today in this rather strange you know, moment, I think not just for us as, as a country, but for you know, the entire world. Yours is a, an incredible offering, a business that answers a very specific need and, and maybe more in this moment than ever before. But the seeds of the idea can track back almost a decade to, I guess, began as a magazine. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey and how it evolved over time into what Digify Africa is in this moment? Sure. Well, actually, the journey started more like 20 years ago. Okay, cool. Um, back in the UK, where I'm from, mm -hmm. in South London. And in 2002, we started a magazine called Live Magazine. Yeah. With the intention of trying to give young people a voice. We were working in quite a sort of underprivileged borough in, in London, based in Brixton. Yeah. And... Um, we wanted to give young people there the chance to talk about youth issues in a kind of peer-to-peer -peer voice as a way of trying to talk about some difficult subjects like, you know, teenage pregnancy and health and gangs and things like that. Um, so initially, Live Magazine was created as a kind of just a comms project in a way, funded by government. And after a couple of years of running it, and I, I joined as a sort of young journalist myself mm. who was kind of roped in to sort of mentor young people was that fresh out of varsity? I was only a couple of years, yeah. I'd been working as a, a music journalist okay. um, and and freelancing and doing a bit of copywriting. But I sort of got involved and kind of caught the bug of, of working with, with young people. 
And after a couple of years of running it, we realized that because we had this unique methodology, I guess, of giving ownership to young journalists, you know, mm. of a publication, they were in control of the stories and mm. the narrative that they were learning so much that they were naturally just going on to use it as a way to get into the world of work. And someone pointed out to us that we had created a training project. Mm. We were, you know, it was never our intention, yeah. quite honestly. Unintended yeah. consequences. Yeah. Of, yeah. And none of us were teachers or we, we didn't have the experience for that anyway. But that was the sort of beginning of everything that I've worked on with what was Liberty Africa, because that yes. was the, what the company was originally called and is now Digify Africa, kind of contained in that one idea, which is, you know, a, a slightly alternative take on education, uh, very much focused on job creation, mm. um, you know, and really putting the power in the hands of young people. So I ran Live Magazine for about eight or nine years in London. And then I got an award for it called the UK Young Publishing Entrepreneur of the Year Award in 2010. Okay. It was sponsored by the British Council and they brought all the entrants to the award to South Africa okay. to explore potentially what you could do as a business in a different market. Mm. And I just got really struck by the potential and possibility of doing something like Live Magazine in South Africa. Mm. And... Yeah, to cut a very long story short, it ended up with me. I met the Shuttleworth Foundation. I applied for a fellowship. They gave me a fellowship and I kind of up sticks and moved from, from London to from Cape Town. Brixton to Bromfontein. Well, not quite. Well, yeah. Brixton to Belleville. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Initially, initially to Cape Town, I guess, yeah. as most British people do. Yeah. You feel like Cape Town's the place to start. And we launched Live Magazine and I had the sort of resources and, and funding from Shuttleworth to, to really hit the ground running. Within six months of landing, I'd launched the first print magazine, as it was at the time. Mm. Same methodology, mm -hmm. but working with obviously unemployed young people in South Africa, which involved a big, huge, steep learning curve for me in terms of the differences between the challenges facing what we would call disadvantaged young people in London. Of course, yes. And the youth here. But we kind of, you know, we kept producing the mags, we kept iterating, learning. And it was a pretty successful sort of couple of years yeah. publishing these these mags. About 50% of the young people would, would go into work at the end. And, you know, the project is based around a kind of boot camp experience. So yes. you come in for three or six months, you get intense hands-on experience and then we try and sort of place you into a job yes so that's how live magazine started okay i mean despite the and you've alluded to this the very different socio-economic dynamics of the you know the uk versus south africa there were some fundamentals some basic principles that made it you know made the project work what do you think of those fundamental principles that i mean made it such a powerful intervention in the lives of young people regardless of whether it was in brixton or Belleville, as we said. One was this immersive sort of learning experience. Yeah. You know, uh, I guess it's not dissimilar to, uh, you know, like an apprenticeship of sure. sorts, except ours was much less structured. It was yes. really just like throw you in at the deep end. Immersing, yeah. 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 Spotting the talent in the first place, I think. And, you know, and we've always, I think, taken pride in being able to do that mm -hmm. and, and not looking at education or sort of formal qualifications, but just... Have you got the right attitude? Yeah. You know, have you got the desire to sort of learn and 
take a chance, even if you, you know, you've only finished my trick. Yeah. So that and seeing the steep learning curve and I suppose the improvement in confidence and this natural assimilation of, you know, work readiness skills, which is obviously a big barrier for young people in this country yeah. if you've never interacted with the world of work. Sure. So that, you know, on the supply side of young talent, those are the key factors. And then I think the fact that, you know, me as a journalist and other people I've worked with from the media industry you know we've always had one foot in the industry so you know from the very start in Cape Town we were based inside an ad agency mm. we had those links we built those relationships so we were also creating that bridge you weren't just coming out of you know college and then suddenly it's like this whole other world you've got to try and infiltrate yeah we were trying to open those doors already and create those bridges yeah and I think also an element of just finding the right moment for this stuff, sure. you know, and, and the world kind of needing these different approaches and reacting to the brokenness, I suppose, of, of formal education systems, being flexible and responsive enough to work with uh, new skills that aren't on curricula. Mm, mm. You know, all of these factors, I think, go into the mix of why it, why it worked. Why it worked, yeah. Around the same time, you know, 2010, 2009, 2011, there and thereabouts, there were big shifts happening in the world of media, journalism and publishing off the back, I think, of the kind of meteoric rise of different social media players. So in a way, the thing that was so pure about giving young people and young people that felt disenfranchised and didn't feel like they had a voice, a voice through a publication started to happen in the digital realm where young people were finding a voice in social media and I mean, we've seen how important that has been to the growth of those platforms and certainly the secondary impacts or effects of their existence on, on the world around us. And part of that, I think, has informed your journey from, you know, in inverted commas, traditional publishing environments into now, a, you know, building digital skills at the most fundamental and most critical level. How are those kind of two journeys tracked along and, and how has it impacted what the organization looks like today? I mean, it all came together, everything you said came together kind of early 2014 when we'd been yes. going almost exactly three years. You know, I was very tied to the idea of a, a physical magazine being mm. a crucial part of our methodology because I felt like, you know, it's, it's this one big experience with a payoff at the end when you publish the magazine and that that's where the learning really lay for the young people there is something quite powerful also mm. about i don't know what that is we've spoken about this actually i spoke about it with with a couple of different guests before actually but specifically around the the power of the published why in essence does it mean so much more to have a printed book on the table than an ebook or but there is something yeah in that. there's magic in that and it's definitely quite difficult to, yeah definitely and and you know the magazine production process the intensity of it the the late nights you do in the last few days, you know, of getting to a deadline. You can't quite recreate that with, mm. with online publishing. But it turned out that that was not a crucial component. The print was not at all a critical part of the success. And in fact, you know, when I really faced it, and I had to face it because my funding was, was coming to an end, sure. reaching the end of a three-year fellowship yeah. Yeah. and facing a sort of financial cliff, and the reality was, you know, it was, it was costing over 200,000 rand per issue just to, just to print and distribute. Sure. So to get rid of that overhead in one stroke, for one thing, 
was you know critical to us continuing mm. so we were kind of forced into it mm. the young people we worked with were resistant as well i'm sure also around that same time we had we'd been talking to google um and we'd done some stuff with google around youtube and training young people on youtube mm-hmm. but we came up with this idea of doing an alternative uh, to live magazine same methodology but mm-hmm. focused on digital marketing social media skills yes this had been in our minds as well because when we were placing say writers or designers some of the agencies were like well that's great but we have actually got a lot of those you know it's a yes. highly competitive field there's not that many jobs available sure but we're really you know, short on these skills yeah, yeah do you know anyone who can run a social media campaign mm. do you know digital copywriters things like that mm. all these things came together we realized that there was actually a lot more demand for those digital media skills and yeah. and a lot of the agencies at the time were still very you know hesitate to say ignorant but we're on you their journey right. <laughs> <laughs> we're on their journey in the process <laughs> they were yeah yeah they were struggling with it themselves as they still are actually you know many years later so sure, sure but i think we sort of came in with this new project which we called digify um with google and it was essentially a, a 12 week bootcamp like the live mag bootcamp but this yes. time you became a little agency and you learned the A to Z of digital marketing, basically. Okay, wow. And we got agencies to come in and take part in the training. So agencies would set all the briefs on, yes. uh, like aligned to our sort of learning design. And then at the end, you know, they would graduate. And the first cohort of 20, I mean, they just got snapped up like immediately. Mm. So straight away, we realized that the sort of on the demand side, we were tapping into something completely new. And that really changed the course of you know that that was a big pivot for us we switched live magazine to a to a digital publication at the same time and then you can see a straight line from that in early 2014 to where we are now yes yes where we're really you know very focused on how can demand driven skills help us tackle youth unemployment yeah it's as simple as that now so we've really been on a journey of kind of I guess leaving aside the things that weren't critical in our business and our model and, and really getting to what other things is going to make maximum impact. If this is your first time listening to The One-Eyed Man and you're wondering what I'm trying to achieve here, why don't you take a moment to go back to the trailer episode at the beginning of season one. It's really short, I promise, and will give you some insight and context. If you're enjoying the show, Please consider sharing this episode or the One-Eyed Man channel with, well, all of your friends in the entire world. And now, back to the show. So there was this big pivot towards, I mean, quite a dramatic pivot away from thinking about a traditional publishing environment into, a, you know, a digital skill, a digital content, digital marketing space. How has that apprenticeship evolved over the last couple of years to expand its skill set or to include other elements? And what have you learned about what is really important for, for young people entering the that realm? I mean, is it largely agencies that are always the customer pool that is acquiring this talent a little bit broader than that? That particular program, which mm. continues to this day, mm-hmm. although it's now sponsored by Facebook rather than Google, okay. is still quite similar to when it started. And it's still very much focused at agencies. Mm. It's now expanded to Kenya and Nigeria. So we're tapping into to new markets with it. Amazing. I think the content changes every cohort because it's an adaptive sort of responsive sure. learning design, you know, and the, as the platforms change, 
we have to change with them. I think what we've seen is this proliferation of different career paths, which is yes. great and exciting, you know, so whereas maybe in 2015, it was all about social media managers, you know, now it's a bit more nuanced than mm. that, you know, mm. you can have moderators and community managers and social media content creators and analytics, yeah, and, analytics yeah. and SEO and search and uh, even things like UI and UX and, and, and from what we kind of do, which is quite a foundational boot camp, I suppose, you could go in any of those directions. That whole sort of ecosystem of skills and career paths, I think, is one of the things that's not very well understood mm. in the industry mm. and generally because it's constantly changing and it's not a linear thing. You know, you can sort of, you can zigzag across all these different career paths in some ways. So we've tried to make sense of that. We tried to keep track of what agencies want. You know, I talk to a lot of agency leaders regularly about what they need and how they see the industry. But I suppose what's been important for us is to think a few levels below that sort of entry point to employment as well. So over the last few years, we've we've developed a lot of other programs and interventions mm. In what we call now Digify for Life, which is, you know, how can we build on what we've learned, but apply it to young people at different levels of their journey. So that's involved designing programs for schools. So we now also have offerings for schools where we go in and do basic digital skills and internet safety and online resilience, okay. you know, because I feel like at that level, you know, we need to start there. The really, really powerful tools, yeah. that, and and we're exposing young people to them without necessarily the tools to understand how to use them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And then sort of intermediate programs in between uh, that point and 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 the point where you might go into a digital marketing or social media career, including you know for for SMEs who want to use the skills we teach people for their careers to to just grow their businesses. So we're playing quite a few different areas now of the landscape. But one of the things that I think we're most excited about now is, you know, the non-formal career paths. So how could you develop and support young people with the kind of Digify Pro level skills, which is, you know, yeah. Digify Pro is our sort of benchmark. Flagship level. Flagship level, yeah. yeah. Get, into the, get into the industry level. Mm -hmm. but how could you get to that level, but then just operate you know, and, and actually service other SMEs, you know, not go into an agency, not Got go you. into a formal career. Okay. So a little bit of the gig economy, freelance is not a great word, but almost yeah. individual entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's okay. hard to give that a good label. At yes. Least, yeah. Know? There are stigmatized labels for that. And that, that's unfortunate. I want to ask you more about that because I think it's a really interesting discussion. You're in a space that clearly demonstrates there is so much need <laughs> everywhere and there are gaps everywhere. How do you how do you maintain focus? How do you choose what to concentrate on and what do you have to land up saying no to? And how do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. And after 2016, we had a very, very difficult year. Mm. We'd kind of scaled quite fast and we were, you know, operating all over the continent. We had like 60 stuff, but then we, we hit a big shortfall of funding and we, we went through a really difficult year or two, mm. you know, of having to let people go and, you know, scale back down again. And in that time, I think that's when we changed from Liberty Africa to Digify Africa. Mm. Um, and I think I, I just had to take a sort of long, hard look at what we've been doing. Yeah. And, and we were doing a lot of stuff. You know, we were trying to be a publisher. 
we had been running these campaigns on voting and youth democratic participation. We were yes. trying to play in that field of a sort of activist organization around yes. voting and doing Digify and acting as an agency, sure. you so know. Nice. Yeah. yeah, and it was just, it wasn't the reason why we had a crash, but in the crash, you know, it was like, I did a lot of reflection and licking of wounds and looked at the future and thought, I want to do the things that has the most impact, you sure. know. And that's where the sort of everything we'd been doing in terms of Digify really came through. And so I think that was a, a point where we as a group recognized where our, our value proposition really lay, you know, and allowed us to have a much closer laser focus, mm -hmm. you know, and in terms of an organization, that stuff's guided obviously by, you know, a clearly stated purpose and values and, And I think we have now, you know, it makes it very easy for us to make decisions like that. Mm -hmm. In terms of the sort of skills in the industry itself, you know, we often, for example, get people saying, well, why don't you go into coding and programming? Because this is what the world needs, sure. you know. We've always said no. And I think part of the reason for that is there's a lot of people doing it. Yeah. It feels yeah. like a crowded space. Yeah. People yeah. doing it very well. Yeah. But also I think that the area we're in, we feel is a sort of less explored area, you know, digital marketing feels like a sort of niche, but actually is a very broad church. Mm, sure. Uh, we think it's got a lot of potential to create lots of livelihoods, you know, formal and informal. So we've kind of stuck to our guns on that. And that's guided us in terms of, you know, how far to go with our training and or even the type of funding we want to, we want to seek. Yeah. So it's been a sort of over 10 years just feels like it's been a kind of gradual winnowing away at dropping things and, you know, getting to, to what I feel like is now a pretty clear purpose. Amazing. And I mean, as you mentioned already, there's an efficiency of impact delivery that's core to that thinking. How do we have the biggest impact for the least amount of effort or the right amount of effort or the right, you know, correctly appropriated effort? How do you measure that? How do you measure impact in Digify Africa specifically? Yeah, it's a, one of our biggest challenges mm. and something that I feel like we haven't always done as well as we should. And we, in fact, the last few months we've been working really hard at, at this. The challenge for us is, I mean, clearly our impact is about livelihood creation. Yes. You know, that's yeah. the, the ultimate for us, the ultimate benchmark of if we've been successful. But when you start thinking about proving that impact, you know, it's easy to say someone went on to a job after a Digify Pro course, mm. but can you really claim 100% of, of, of the credit for that? Sure. You know, not necessarily. So start thinking about your contribution to impact, you know, and and the challenge we've had is is tracking people after they've interacted with us, you know, especially yes. with some of the higher volume programs. Mm, mm. I mean, in 2016, 2017, we trained like 80,000 young people face to face mm. in one of our sort of entry level programs. Um, and quite honestly, we don't really know exactly what the impact of that was, mm. because we found it very hard to keep in touch and get feedback from everyone. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's super hard to do well. What we're trying to do now is to sort of bake it into our programs through the fact that we are a sort of social media centric organization, how can we make sure that uh, through our communities, you know, we can, we can continually interact with young people we've trained yeah. and continually kind of get this feedback of data, but also playing with the idea of 
young people themselves rating our contribution mm. to their success. Mm. Yeah, sure. Rather than us sort of claiming it for ourselves. That sounds like an interesting metric to explore. Yeah. Do you worry about social media? I know I do. And I feel a sense of guilt around that because I also know I benefited hugely from the emergence and growth of those platforms. And I still continue to benefit from them from a marketing perspective or a profile building perspective. But I do worry that there are some consequences of the adoption of social media that aren't great and have, you know, almost without, you can't argue that there've been some really negative unintended consequences. You know, how do you think about that when you design programs or when you engage with the product, I guess, right at the beginning? Yeah. I mean, we worry about it a lot. I think that's the part of the reason that drove us to really want to do this schools program, mm -hmm. which is, is really about internet safety. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's about saying you're very likely going to be using and interacting with social media platforms. Let's help you with tips and tricks of how to get the most out of it, you know, yeah. for your career and your studies, but also here's the dangers of privacy and bullying and the virtual hazmat suit for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, and I think that's the right age to do that intervention, although we are sort of baking it into some of our other programs as well. Mm. And this year we'll be doing a lot of activity focused at parents and teachers around it as well, which seems like the missing link. Yeah. Big increasingly apparent, sorry to interrupt you that sure. there's this you know, sort of lack of fundamental foundational digital literacy across all age groups. Yeah. And people who would be perfectly rational and logical in any other circumstance seem to morph into monsters behind the security of a digital avatar. It's, it's something that I think we need to kind of collectively, all of us who are who believe in the power and the importance of these platforms need to think about really carefully. Yeah, um, yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I don't know, it's something I've needed to grapple with my whole career really, because in the UK, we were, the company was very much about working with big brands, but mm. trying to use their marketing budget to do um, socially responsible things with. So it's somewhat of a Faustian pact, you know, that you're mm. making. I, I'm quite a pragmatist about these things that I think, you know, these brands exist, these platforms exist. And rather than a kind of anarchic sort of let's tear them all down, that doesn't seem to be sure. productive to me. So I'd rather be, you know, kind of involved and working with them. Yes, yes. Not to say, we're, you know, maybe we're having the influence we, we would like to have with some of, some of these <laughs> platforms. But I mean, I know for myself, uh, the dangers, I mean, I found Twitter in particular very detrimental to my own mental health. Sure, I can identify, yeah. And so I think it's about just taking a socially responsible view on how we're advertising our platforms making sure that we're, you know, we're not just kind of promoting the, the benefits and ignoring the, the downsides, you know, we have to sort of grapple with both, especially if we're, if we're playing this role as an educational provider for young people. Yeah. It's, it's like anything that's extremely powerful is that there is always a double-edged sword nature to it. And I think we need to just be conscious of that and people who are setting the trends or, or trying to develop new ways of leading off the back of these um, platforms need to think very carefully about what types of leaders we create. I wanted to ask a little bit about, uh, it sounds like an odd question, but uh, what do you, I mean, what do you need? <laughs> what does Digify Africa need from the industry, 
from digital stakeholders, from brands? How can you get better support from the ecosystem? You know, we've both operated out of for a long time, but maybe from different different angles. How can stakeholders get more involved in what you're doing? Well, I mean, the easiest thing is we love working with people as placement partners, you mm -hmm. know, and that doesn't involve any changing of money. You know, mm -hmm. but that's just something we need for our programs that are funded already. Yeah. So we're always looking for more partners, particularly, I think, from corporates, you know, because yeah. we have veered towards agencies. But now as corporates are building their own you know, digital teams, yeah. yeah, I think we've got a lot of scope to, to go in that direction. One of the barriers there has been, you know, slightly more stringent recruitment criteria yeah. in the corporate world. You know, I think agencies are more prepared to be a bit more flexible and take a risk if you don't have a degree, for example. Sure. We're really looking for uh, partners as well to get out of the major metropolises. Mm -hmm. You know, we're very conscious of the need to kind of not propagate the digital divide and not make sure everyone who has the opportunity already are mm -hmm. the ones who receive our opportunities. So yeah. Yeah. we're really looking to work with people around the country and around the continent, in fact, you know, to to try and democratize some of these these opportunities. Yeah. And then more and more we're actually sort of collaborating with actually doing work for agencies. So we've been training some of the big agencies in digital skills. Um, both general digital skills and very specific things like UX. Mm -hmm. That's great for us as a business, you know, that's part of our sort of revenue stream. Yeah. And we've actually been sort of doing some interesting collaborations around, around being uh, about uh, agencies and brands outsourcing to us as well. Yes. yes. So I don't know if you've come across the project we do with, uh, well, we did it with VML and Standard Bank, but now with Wonderman and Standard Bank. Yeah. And essentially they outsource their social moderation to us, okay. to Digify. So yeah. we re train and recruit young people, but then we actually manage the work for them. Okay. And it's a really nice model and, and sure. social moderation also, and sort of online customer care being an area that I'm quite excited about, you know, something that feels even more needed, especially now in the time, time. time of COVID. Yeah. So I'd love to sort of explore interesting collaborations like that as well, where we can actually create jobs yeah and again one of those un unintended outcomes is that you can probably provide opportunities for moderation in multiple languages or from very different perspectives or from a youth audience that's connecting quite you know intentionally and intimately with a youth customer or a younger customer so there's a, a sincerity to that engagement that you sometimes miss when it's you know, people that look like us that are trying to moderate <laughs> platforms yeah absolutely um, no it's worked really really well you know and, and and so if you're interacting with standard bank on twitter or facebook you're likely to your talking guys. to one of our digifiers yeah amazing that's really cool um, Gav, thank you so much. I really want to encourage you. You're doing this amazing work and I realize that often it, it can seem um, a, a difficult space to operate in. Uh, sometimes I, I imagine you come up against opinions or ways of doing things that can become unnecessary obstacles, but well done on, on persevering and creating such extraordinary value because I think the ripples of that are, they're exponential and that's, uh, that's a really unique unique gift and unique offering so well done thanks very much thanks for being on the show thanks for having me cool you've been listening to the one-eyed man podcast i'm mike stopforth an entrepreneur writer and public speaker deeply curious about discovering better ways to lead and better ways to live in an increasingly complex world 
I find the best source of these ideas is the experience and wisdom of interesting people who are taking unconventional approaches to solving the world's most compelling problems. If you'd like to hear from someone I haven't yet spoken to, visit mikestopforth.com, click on the podcast link, and send through your suggestions. A big thanks to the Solid Gold Podcast Studios in Johannesburg, South Africa, for making this production possible. And remember, in the land of the blind, a one-eyed man slash person is a king. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.